she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. everyone welcome back to the body serve i'm james and i'm jonathan and you're here for our 60th episode that is the diamond anniversary just in case you were wondering i have no idea what is diamond gold silver well luckily we have google mm. which is exactly what i did today and this is our diamond jubilee why would 60 be something i, I mean i get 25 i get 50 i get 100 maybe even 75 well i don't know most people aren't married for 100 years so like after, so you, after you hit is, 50, you just celebrate every five years? I mean, the chances of you living past your 60th are pretty slim, so mm. maybe maybe that's why. The chances of us living past our 60th episode were very slim when we started this podcast, so I guess it is something worth celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> the last time we came to you was our second ever TV episode, and we hope you enjoyed it first. Second, we're not entirely sure how much we think highly of it. <laughs> In the, no, I don't agree. There well, was just a lot to cover. Yeah, it just felt a bit overambitious. Okay. There, there was a definite sense of dis- somewhat disappointment with the final product, don't you think? No. Oh. I don't know if you want to really be putting that messaging out there. You didn't take <laughs> PR in school, did you? <laughs> First of all, we would like to thank those of you who participated and contributed mm. to the process and told us what you thought about your own favorite shows. Well, part of me saying that is that there were so many things that we didn't say that we had talked about beforehand. And then after it was like, well, oh, wow, we didn't talk about this show. We didn't talk about that show. Mm -hmm. And then we were left thinking, well, there are all these thoughts that just never made it to air. I think what would work better is something a little more Socratic. There you go. You know what I'm using those big (laughs) words again. (laughs) If you listen to the TV episode, you'll know that he dropped unmoored. On Twitter last week. Right, which I was roundly which, ridiculed Which for apparently is just a regular old word that you throw out in everyday conversation. No, it, it, it meant exactly what I meant to get across. Mm-hmm. That's why it was used. Specificity. English has a really, really large vocabulary compared to a lot of other languages and in its family. And you have such a great command on so much of it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, which I'll have you know has been the kind of knock on me especially from you and other people throughout yes. most of my life yes. that i use words unnecessarily like so when i get the opportunity to, to you know <laughs> give it to you for that i'm gonna take it why use a five syllable word when you can use a one or two syllable word mm-hmm. that means the same thing anyway there was there were some shows that we failed to mention in our tv episode and it doesn't mean we don't love them but we simply didn't get around to it i forgot to mention veep Aside from, I think we name-dropped Julia Louis-Dreyfus once. We didn't talk about Atlanta at all. Not the Real Housewives, but... Well, we could talk about both. Childish Bambino's new effort. Childish Gambino. (laughs) Childish Gambino, whatever. (laughs) What else? We didn't talk about the Fosters. Well, very much. But that show is soapy and melodramatic And I absolutely adore it. I would not miss that show. The one thing I could not believe I forgot to mention was how much I absolutely despise Ike Barinholtz. Is that his name? Yeah. On the Mindy Project. And part of that stems from... very nice, is it? I don't care. Because part of it is that so many people I know love him. And he's obviously a very popular character on that show. And I've even had women in my real life... Tell me about, oh, he's so great. I would so be with him. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like, this is one of the most repulsive people on earth. <laughs> Fictitious or not. Straight people are so confusing. I just don't understand it. Like, every time he's on screen, I want to just crawl out of my skin and disappear. Mm. And if it's not bad enough that we have one of him, there's two of him. Because he has a brother <laughs> that does exactly what he does, but 60% as well. 
Wait, what show is he on? He's on Superstore. Oh, yes. And, and there's no mistaking there, that mouth. We didn't have to. We, we knew who he was and just had to look it up to confirm because they look just alike. They play the same person. It's crazy. <laughs> like why these two have been unleashed on us is beyond me. So I need it they're to stop. like another Duplass brothers for you. Worse. Wor- wow. Worse. I'm not. I don't get really why Morgan gets so many of the laugh lines on Mindy Project. Obviously, Mindy thinks very highly of him, and mm-hmm. I think he is a writer on the show as well. I just don't really. I don't think that he's disgusting, as you would say, because that's just rude. I just don't really find the character that funny. I don't get it. And it's been like a a weakness of the mini project for me throughout its run. He just embodies so much of the low bar threshold that we have for men in in real life. (laughs) To be considered good or Mm. funny or to be in good company. It's just abominable. Okay. In other news, we did start watching The Crown on Netflix And I have to say, being American, I'm not really into the royals at all. I don't know if that's an American thing or just a me thing. Because Canadians for sure are. We know a lot of Canadians. And obviously, I'm a former British subject. Still a British subject. (laughs) I left one... So are Canadians, right? That's what I'm saying. I left Jamaica, and now I'm in Canada, where Mm -hmm. we still pledge allegiance to the Queen. Right. In order to get your citizenship, you had to do that. I had to pledge allegiance to Miss Queen Elizabeth. And they literally walk around to see if your mouth is moving during the (laughs) oath. That is true. It is true. Is that a a state secret? Are we allowed to reveal that? I don't know. (laughs) Don't know. It's good. It's really, really good. It is. I mean, it's very impressively mounted. It's very expensive. The filmmaking is quite high level, uh, but it's actually very, very interesting. And I've never really been that interested, to be honest, in Queen Elizabeth or the Windsor family at all. And part of why it works is because she's so tight-lipped about her own personal life. Mm-hmm. And it kind of explains why that is the case. She doesn't give interviews. We don't know anything about her outside of second and third third-hand reports. Mm-hmm. And she is a fascinating character, though. I've been reading a few essays about the show, like reviews about the show recently, and a few pointed out that, as I was talking about last week, a strong female character doesn't necessarily have to be strong, mm-hmm. as as we think of it today, because she is a, a woman in the early 1950s who very much wants to be a wife to her husband, and has, as we see it, a very old-fashioned idea of gender roles. And she was willing to take her husband's name as the sovereign of the United Kingdom. You know, so that was really interesting to me. She's, they haven't sort of ironed her out into this feminist icon. She's still alive. There has to be some truth to it. It's, oh, it's, right. not, it's not fiction. Right. But a show like that can dramatize certain things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of period pieces do sort of make the heroes of the of the show more progressive than maybe they would have been. Well, my point is that mm-hmm. it's harder to do that when the person is still alive. Okay. Right? It's not like she's going to watch it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's some cease and desist letters right. <laughs> in the mail. The reason we're here, we're back to doing tennis. And much like our last tennis episode, this current one is going to be dominated by one Andrew Baron Murray. Mm-hmm. Because he's won again. His ninth title, his fifth title in a row at the World Tour Finals in London. And finally, to all the detractors who said, well, he's racking up all this success without having played Novak. He played Novak in the final, beat him jaw-droppingly easily. Well, I don't know if it was... No, relative to how folks expected that match to go, Mm -hmm. that was crazy. I could not believe that scoreline. Right. And you have to remember, too, Andy was coming off of playing three and a half hours the day before against Milos. And Novak had just beaten K6-1-6-1 in the semifinals. (laughs) Had just swept him aside Yeah, so it seemed that Novak was building up finally this head of steam to, you know, re-announce himself. Or reassert himself, Mm -hmm. I should say. definitely seemed like that's where it's going. And it was a very surprising end of the season in general. This is usually Novak's playground, these fall tournaments. Even when he's having a pretty good season, he can dominate in the fall. Yeah. Remember in 2009, 
he had been having serious problems in the year before that, losing to Andy Roddick a few times. Was that the bird flu season? The Mm, SARS season? I don't remember. (laughs) I don't remember. But he totally dominated 2009 fall swing, and it changed the course of his career. Or it may have been 2010, to be honest. (laughs) Well, what's surprising about it is that this is the first time we've seen this happen to him (laughs) post-gluten. Oh, dear. You know, pre-gluten Novak and post-gluten Novak, they're two different players. Mm -hmm. And if we cast our minds back to the start of the season and some of the stuff we said on this podcast... There were times we didn't even really want to talk about men's tennis. Right. Because it was so predictable. Novak was routinely winning everything. He's won seven events on the year, and six of those happened up to the French Open. Mm -hmm. He only won one title after the French Open, which was the Rogers Cup. That included winning the Australian Open, winning Roland Garros, and he showed up at Wimbledon, the unquestioned best in the world, with much of the tennis viewing public thinking it, just unrealistic that anybody could catch him for number one for the end of the year. Right. But also that he could realistically win six majors in a row, Mm -hmm. pull a Martina Navratilova. And when someone is zoning like that, you get the feeling, who can ever beat this person? You know they have to lose eventually, but but how? (laughs) And so the head of steam that he had going for him, that he had built up, it combusted at Wimbledon. It did. It deflated. (laughs) (laughs) Something happened, like... It derailed whatever that high level momentum level of play just went away. For whatever reason, we don't know. I mean, obviously it was Sam Query. (laughs) Just changed the course of history. Reality star Sam Query. And like we said on the last time we talked tennis, it's not to say that his the rest of his year has been bad. It's been bad here and there. Here and there. I mean he lost first round at the Olympics, third round against Query at Wimbledon. Fine. Mm -hmm. But you have a U.S. Open final in there. Yeah. You have a final at this tournament. Like I said, he won the Rogers Cup. Mm. He made a bunch of quarters and semis. It's not been gloom and doom. Right. And so I don't know what who, who, what can we say is the, the cause for this. Is it just a natural regression to the mean? Uh, I have no idea. Anything we say is going to be pure speculation. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what's going on with him. He hasn't really said anything about injuries, so we we have to assume that's not it. He said uh, after the match that anything he tried just didn't work against Andy in this match. But some of the commentators, and myself included, I sort of wonder, did he try everything? It, it just didn't... What do you mean? In the final, it just didn't seem like him. Like, because so in the first set, the first set was long, and... They were pretty evenly matched for like six to eight games. Andy broke away for 5-3 and then won the set. But at, if you were watching in real time, it looked like it was going to be a match based on the beginning of the first set. Uh, but as the match went on, it it didn't seem like Novak was sort of reaching the balls that he normally does. He wasn't problem solving like he usually does. I don't know. It it didn't seem like he tried everything. I think that's your reaction to his body language on court. Right, that could be. In that he seems to be more prone to being dejected on court mm-hmm. than he has in the past. That's true. And we've seen, I mean, we see that even when he's playing well. We saw it in the run-up to Roland Garros when he was throwing his racket at people and shit like that. Well, not at people. It was like <laughs> by accident. <laughs> But it's it's sort of disturbing, if you're a Djokovic fan, that he ran into a very tired, although zoning, Andy Murray, and didn't put up more of a fight. Keep in mind, too, that Novak came in with much fresher legs. He'd played far less than Andy had. That's what I mean, yeah. And he had just had that 6-1-6-1 win over K. Granted, K played well into the night the night before, so he, too, came into that match with tired legs. Right. But still... That's a really good result. And Andy had come so close to losing the day before. Was I thought he was really going to be down and out the next day after being dragged into that really long match against Raonic. I mean, when you got Mama Judy in the crowd wearing her fly-ass glasses, <laughs> applauding, and you can get Ivan Lendl to emote mm. in your box, and you have the home crowd and all these celebrities, 
You have Kevin Spacey, Clive Owen. All these different people were like big name celebrities mm-hmm. were in the crowd watching you. I guess also when you know it's your last hurrah for the season, you don't have to go play Davis Cup in 12 hours right. like you did last year. It's uh, you can f- You can focus all your energies into f- tying a nice little bow on this great momentum that you've had to end the season. And who doesn't want to make Judy Murray happy? Don't you just wish good things for Judy? I I know I do. (laughs) I want to be friends with Judy. I want to go, you know, sip a cocktail, kiki, have some (laughs) crumpets, some sweets, desserts. Yeah, what do Scots eat with their tea? I don't know, but she loves her desserts. 50% of the pictures that she posts on Twitter have to do with whatever sweets or pastries or confections she's eating at the time. Mm. Or that people just gift her because they know she loves them so much. (laughs) (laughs) And she's Dame Judy Murray. Uh Uh-huh. When is is her title coming? Because Andy will clearly get his knighthood soon, right? Maybe Jamie will as well. Maybe they'll be knighted together. Perhaps. Jamie's a two-time Grand Slam doubles champion now. Uh, Former world number one in doubles, is the year is the top-ranked doubles team right now. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the top ranking, but he and Bruno Suarez, I think it is, they're the top-ranked yep. top ranked doubles team. And so Judy Murray has a whole lot to be thankful for this Thanksgiving heading into Christmas. <laughs> Everything kind of dovetailed at the same time for this family. Because actually going into this year, neither Jamie nor Bruno Suarez had won a major. They had been top doubles players for a long time. They'd both been to finals. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, Jamie splitting from John Piers was kind of surprising because they had been to Grand Slam finals. Yes. And they were a regular fixture at the top end of men's doubles. And Jamie was like, bye, girl. Now, Piers did go on to win the World Tour finals yes. this week. Nice caveat that you just added there, <laughs> which is a, a good bit of sweet revenge on his part. Mm-hmm. I think he partnered Continent or something like that. Yes. But I was, just to talk a little of the actual tennis for a second, I was really impressed that Andy seemed to be kind of going outside the box a little bit. Which box? The service box? (laughs) The ad box? No, he was using his forehand (laughs) as more of a weapon because it's not always. I don't know all the mechanics and everything about that, but... His inside-out forehand is not something that he's known for. But in a very uh, replayable point, he hit this amazing short-angle inside-out forehand to go up 5-3 in the first set. And that seemed to sort of dumbfound Novak. Because as someone who's played Andy, uh, I think, 35 times, was probably not expecting that. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's 24-11 and in favor of Novak. They've played five times in 2016 with Novak leading 3-2, having won the French Open, Australian Open, and Madrid, and Andy winning Rome, and then now the World Tour Mm -hmm. Finals. Yeah, so I'm glad that Andy was able to erase that little asterisk next to the number one. There was no asterisk. Well, there were definitely a lot of people etching in their own little asterisk there. There were pressed people who, you know who they are, We've exped- like don't why are you putting me in a position? I do know who they are. Why are you putting me in a position to have Serena fans come for me again? <laughs> because <laughs> you know the comparison no, I'm gonna let's, make. Let's just keep it within the lines here. <laughs> They're most You're of all the... about the lines and the boxes, right? right. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the no lay people, most of whom I've blocked. <laughs> <laughs> no, only only the real rude ones. Stick a pen because I was just about to shout out Dr. Scholz again. And then I realized yeah. that we've got somebody else to shout and out this time. Scholz, you've had enough. Your 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 crown, your body serve shout out crown has been snatched. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you'll take the next five or six weeks to more Novak in your own personal time. But this week's shout out is going to... To Chad, who is CC Smooth. Yeah. And he has got to be... Like the number one Venus Williams fan there is. He even has a picture with Venus as his Abby on Twitter. Right. So we bond over Venus. We bond over Insecure. And he's been a very, very long time loyal listener of the Body Serve. So, hey. We still love you, Shoals. But it's time to seed the spotlight. (laughs) 
So thanks, Chad, for being a loyal and vociferous listener. I, I took my while to figure out what you're saying. I thought you said it's time for you to see the spotlight. I'm like, what? But you said <laughs> seed. Yeah. As in, mm-hmm. you know, step aside a little exactly. bit. Make way. Give yeah. room. See all these words I'm teaching you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, one more thing. I have been a bit critical of these year-end tournaments, of the World Tour Finals and the WTA Finals in Singapore. However... It's one of those narratives that you pull out of your tennis box every year. Excuse me. Don't (laughs) talk about my box, okay? (laughs) I I feel like it's something that you just have held to believe for a long time and you just repeat over and over. And maybe now... You can rethink things. That's just like my opinion, man. (laughs) (laughs) Now, mea culpa. Mm -hmm. The World Tour Finals this year had a lot more import, I would say, because there was actually a real story going on. Because the, the result of this big match would color the way that we saw the entire season. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that covered the back end of the tournament it still didn't cover the horrendous tennis that featured for the majority of the tournament i'm glad you mentioned that and even in the semi-final 6-1-6-1 drubbing mm-hmm. of nishikori i didn't watch the semi with murray and raunich but from all reports it was not good tennis <laughs> at all uh-huh. uh and so yes you have the heft of this final this big name final but even then the scoreline didn't deliver So I take your point and I agree that, Mm -hmm. you know, your previous prejudice against the WTF finals, the what the fuck finals is what I like Mm. to think of them as, (laughs) (laughs) that they're, oh, that they were well-founded. I'm glad to see that you're reconsidering that. But if part of it was that the tennis ain't that good, then you still have cause for concern. Yes, because uh, we were talking earlier this week, I was trying to keep up with the round robin and watch matches when I could, and the matchups were just, God, they just left a lot to be desired. And even when you had three set matches, you had team snatching the first set from Djokovic in one of the first matches mm-hmm. and then going away 6-love, six 6-2. Six like the, the, there were just not many competitive matches. Right. I think Novak beat Milos 7-6-7-6 in their round robin match. So Milos actually put his hand up this week. He absolutely did. The I will say the first set of Milos and team was very exciting and Milos managed to get out of that set which he should have won. But Milos has ascended to number 3. He put on a good show in the semifinals against the number 1 player in the world. Like he is trying his best to announce himself that mm-hmm. he he belongs on this stage. Based on the performances of 2016, I think Milos is a solid number four. I okay, still don't yeah. see him as a number three. No. He has, I think he's won one ATP 250. He's made the Wimbledon final, a couple other finals, and then made a bunch of semis. But then you have Stan, who's won four titles. You've had Murray with nine, Novak with seven, Team and Stan with four. Those are your leaders in terms of ATP mm-hmm. Tour titles this year. And Stan's titles have been big. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, so... he's the U.S. Open champ. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You can't argue that Milos... I mean, of course, by the rankings, yes, he's yeah. number three. He's earned the points. And he's That's been fine. very consistent. Take nothing away from him in terms of the good year he's had, how consistent he's been. He is a top player. He's earned it. Could very well be on the cusp of making a further breakthrough next year. Mm-hmm but I still don't see him as number three. Right. And just a little quibble here. The whole cast of characters in his box is just a little off-putting to me, and that's just a personal thing. There's just, He has... Because he's so boring as well. literally 15 coaches. No, to be fair, it's literally three coaches. Uh-huh. But why do you need three coaches? I don't know, I mean, there are so many people in his box who work for him. It's just too much. It's like, I don't know. I feel like you're sort of undermining yourself in the eyes of your opponents when you need this much help. Why do you need three coaches? Two of them former Grand Slam champions. Fine. But if you've gotten to a point where you have peaked 
and then regressed. That's a valid point. But he's still ascending. All right. All right. When you've gotten to a it's point where... It's just okay, me. but when you've gotten to a point where you can say, well, girl, like the help, the, the help is not helping. What well, are you doing? Right, right. Then it's a... I think you're just being petty right now. I mean, I don't think the money is wasted, but there might be too many cooks in the kitchen. What is Carlos Moya going to do if what? he's not in his box? Go play some <laughs> Masters events? Well, I mean, he's no imagine? longer in his 30s. He doesn't have his looks to, re- to rely on anymore. No. And after he cheated on Flavia, like, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know what you had. So we, just, we talked a bit about just now about Milos at number three. We're going to run down the top 10 year-end rankings in a little bit. But before we get to that, let's try and answer this question that we've seen posed a lot in the last couple of months, even before this past week. Who's had the better year, Andy or Novak? Mm-hmm. Are you asking for my opinion? Yeah, I think we're just going <laughs> to both give our opinion on this. Okay. To give a bit of the stats, on the year, Mari is 78-9, and nine, Djokovic is 65-9, and nine, so Mari has 13 more match wins, the same number of losses for both of them. Mari won nine titles, including the Olympic gold. Some places will say that he's won eight. They don't consider the Olympics one of them. The ATP oh, has nine. Okay. The ATP tour website says nine, mm. so... That's what I'm going with. That includes three Masters 1000s, one Grand Slam, the Olympic gold medal, reaching the finals of the Australian Open and the French Open as well. Did lose both those matches to Novak. Mm-hmm. For Novak, of those seven titles, four were Masters 1000s. Two of them were slams at the Australian Open and French Open. He made the US Open final. So like Andy, he played three finals at Grand Slams this year. He went 2 and one as opposed to more being 1-2. and two. And Novak has the head-to-head for the both of them in 2016, 3-2, he Mm -hmm. leads. The big difference in looking at their years is that they're both top and, but, well, no, you can't even say that. Novak's was very top-heavy for the first few months. Andy's wasn't. His was very good and then got great. He didn't really Mm -hmm. have a big, like, lull in his season. You could make the argument that in the the springtime, Heading into spring, like the sunshine double. Mm-hmm. Like he had a bit of a, a down period, relatively speaking, there. Andy's year felt like a crescendo. Well, well put. He made the final in Australia. Mm-hmm. Okay. He played well on clay. He won the Rome title, his first title in Rome. He made the Roland Garros final, which was a big career milestone for him. And then it just basically kept getting better. Winning Wimbledon, winning the Olympic gold. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah. And then having a bit of a flame out at the US Open, let's be real. Right. No way he should have lost that quarterfinal match. That's probably the biggest blip on mm-hmm. his year for me. But can you imagine if he had taken advantage of his his half at the US Open and gone to that final to be able to then say, I made all four finals in 2016. Right. Or maybe one, two, lost two, this would be a non starter. Mori would be the runaway, I think, at that point, player of the year. Yeah, I think, though, we can't rely on like the recency effect here because overall, looking at the stats, I can't argue that anyone had a better year than Djokovic because I'm going to fall back on he won two majors and he won one. The Olympics doesn't count. The World Tour Finals is a big title, but it's not a major. Mm, And the field was hobbling. (laughs) I don't look at the... If it were three slams as opposed to one, fine. The two-to-one thing Mm. doesn't mean that much to me when they've both played three. Okay. Slam finals. Let me finish. (laughs) But the big difference, and while I want to give it to Andy, the big difference for me is the strength of opponents that they would have played and the level of tennis that they would have played against and the depth of field and the number of players playing well at any given time is far more lopsided against Novak in the early part of the year than Andy at the end. Mm -hmm. Because by the end, we had no Roger, we had no Rafa, we had team doing nothing. We had all these players who are banged up, not able to play consistently from week to week people picking their spots, the fields just weren't what they were early in the season. 
So I think that's the big differentiating factor between the two years that they've had. Okay. For me, Novak completed a non-calendar year Grand Slam. He won four majors in a row, and he completed his career Grand Slam at the French. It's just, he, in 2016, he completed one of the greatest spans of play in the history of men's tennis. So I don't, I don't think that as, as impressive as Andy's achievements have been, I don't think that they rise to that level. But two of those, two of those slams happened last year. Yes. We're talking about the but calendar. But he still year. had to cross the finish line. Okay. But part of that is giving credit for stuff that happened last year. Okay. Well, I don't agree, but fine. <laughs> I think it, uh, it matters how you end a year because I'm going to make an analogy here because in 2015, Serena won three majors and was very, very close to winning four, as we know. But the the loss at the U.S. Open kind of cast a shadow over her year. And although she, you know, she won Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year, a lot of people saw that the end of that season as such a disappointment that they weren't able to appreciate what she had achieved that year, which was one of her best seasons and one of the best women's seasons ever. And so in this case, we see Murray rise at at the right time at the end of the season. So he has a lot of glory at the end. But uh, it's easy to forget what Novak achieved for the first five or six months. And my point is that Murray wasn't that far behind Novak in the first five that's months. That's true. That's very true. The That's the problem with making the comparison. And I've seen it a lot that, well... Novak carried the first half of the year and Andy carried the second half and it was a tale of two lopsided seasons. It wasn't. No, because Novak's lows were much lower yeah. than Andy's were. And Novak's highs were were higher. Yeah. Not to the discrepancy that their lows were different, <laughs> but it's just a flawed comparison. And I don't really see that. Mean, I don't I don't get what you're talking about this or anything. I don't I don't accept that. Because okay. I feel like most people were like, yeah, take the rest of the year off. Like you've done mm-hmm. everything you could do or except for win two matches this year. Like it was a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Sure that she didn't win the US Open, but I don't think anybody tacked on the last three months as part of that disappointment. Like once she had decided to shut it down after the US Open, they were like, yep, makes sense. Okay. All right. Like the disappointment was flushing itself, I feel. Mm. So you don't accept it. I don't. I rebuke it. <laughs> cast it asunder maybe i'm doing a bit of compensating here for the quote-unquote serena bashing that i engaged in two episodes ago you have a long way to go (laughs) to make up for it remember please don't tar me with the same brush everyone and remember if you this is what i want people to, to understand always if ever you want to at me at twitter and get up in my mentions with some don't with some gnarly shit <laughs> with respect <laughs> to anything I've said about Serena, Venus, Rafa, those are the three, I guess at this point. Mm. Uh I have audio receipts of m- like a hundred times better things that I've said. So the fact mm-hmm. that you might not have liked one thing, you know, just sit with it a little bit, let it percolate. But don't come at me. Like I come from a good place. <laughs> and He's petty as fuck. Yes, very so petty. So he will mm-hmm. actually go back and listen to tape and find it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not messy like you are. Like, if you come That's for James true. and you at him, he will come to try and snatch your wig on Twitter. Do you know how many times Jonathan has talked me down and said, no, you can't say that. You just, you can't do it. I'm like, fine, let me block them. No. Sometimes just plead. I'm pleading with him. I'm like, listen. Block that person from find your own account, not from the body server account. <laughs> right. And don't be dragging me into this. Like, Fine. this is on you. I, but like, listen, I don't call people names or anything. I don't get messy like that. I'm, I would prefer to make people just feel bad about themselves existentially. No, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> Let's move on. So the bottom line of that question, we lean Djokovic. But it's complicated. And I don't think you have a clear-cut answer one way or the other. Well, I thought I gave you one. Oh, fine. <laughs> fine. Do do we want to wade into these waters? 
You clearly do because you wrote this on the agenda. Mm. Okay. Why, as a lot of people feel, why is Andy given a pass for his behavior and Novak is not? I'm going to let you wade into these waters, but you best know that I'm going to be Rose and you're going to be Jack. And if you start to struggle in those waters, <laughs> I ain't giving you a piece of my plank of wood, okay? But you said you never let go. <laughs> she lied. Yeah, just like in the movie, you are a damn liar. <laughs> um, no, I, mean, I think it's worth picking up, at least. I don't want to attract any hateration. But, um, you know, a lot of people feel that Andy behaves poorly on court uses bad language, all those things, which is true. And rips his boxes apart mm -hmm. routinely. His boxers apart? Boxes. Mm -hmm. His player box. I know. Boxes. I know. Ugh. But Novak also engages in some poor behavior, but is roundly criticized for it. Mm -hmm. So why is that? That's what people want to know. One, I think more people like Mori than they do Djokovic. There's that. I feel that Andy owns his drama and his poor behavior more than Novak does. I read some press from this tournament where Andy was asked, well, you know, about that time where you hit the ball up against the, I guess there's a a scoreboard like in basketball mm. above the court or something. And the ball could have gone into the crowd or could have hit somebody or something. And he was like, well, yeah, that was pretty bad. You shouldn't do that. And it's up to the discretion of the umpire and it's not really fair for some people, if they get punished and other people don't. But yeah, if something had happened, I would have deserved it or something something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very, very self-aware. Whereas Novak turns up and gets asked a question. He's like, oh, you guys are unbelievable. You always mm -hmm. want to talk about this, blah, 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 blah. That wonderful press conference that he gave. And you could make the case that it's an isolated incident of the two of them to make this convenient comparison. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to go back and look look at previous incidents and compare it to get a fully formed picture. But on a very base level, those that one point of comparison is what sums it up for me. Like Andy comes from a much more seemingly sincere and humble place, whereas Novak comes from more of a, a put-on and showy and brattish place. Mm -hmm. And um, those are just feelings impressions <laughs> i'm not trying to say that this is definitely what novak is but that's part and parcel i feel of why folks have different reactions to both of them and well, also novak has been the top dog for like years now and with that and your we talked about his ascent like his incredible ascent to heights that nobody could have thought of mm -hmm. for novak and he just kept going and it didn't seem to have any end in sight when you get to those heights, the scrutiny is much bigger than when you're just some Andy Murray trying to get to number two in the world and maybe beat Novak one time. Like, you're small right. potatoes. On the, the scale of the big four, prior to the end of this year, Andy was, like, <laughs> 4A. <laughs> mm. You know, he was 4A and Stan was 4B. So, like, the, the microscope for looking at their behavior were, were totally different as well. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. So I will bite. Will any that, of the, that press conference with Novak was very unbecoming. And I don't know if it's me. Like, I have a visceral reaction when I see men behave that way. It was just very cocky, very macho. It turns me off. I can never be a fan of someone who acts that way. And that's just like an emotional response in me. It just happens. Like it triggers something. And so that extremely arrogant and condescending response to the journalist, who maybe he was out of order. I don't know. But that sort of condescension is gross to me. And I don't think I'm the only one. So when you mention the parallel between the way that Andy answers questions and the way that Novak did, not to say that he always answers questions like that, Andy seems like he's always no. taking pains to answer questions thoughtfully. Yeah, but Andy has Andy can like cut you a new one in press as well. Oh yeah, but it's different. And for it some reason, it's different. It doesn't really have that. It just comes from him being like a an angry person or just miserable. <laughs> he doesn't seem pointed and yeah condescending. But, 
But with Andy, it's mostly self-directed. That's like true. he's always screaming at himself, <laughs> uh, cursing at himself, and if he does direct it at his box. Mm-hmm. Like I can't really see like Andy doesn't bounce his racket into the stands. Okay, there's one thing. When we talked about this like a week ago or so, or I don't know how many days it was, I said to you, "Well, what about the folks who will make the comparison?" Of Serena Williams and some of her press conferences that mm-hmm. she's given. And do you know, do you want to know what I said? I want you to tell what them what I said. What I said is said. that I don't care. She's black and she's a woman. So there will be no comparison from me. I will not hear the arguments that they are the same. And Novak's, because, Novak's a white straight man. Because all things being equal, comma, all things are not equal. Even within the world of tennis. Exactly. Comma. <laughs> Even if you are Serena Williams, all things are not equal. So the behavior, if it's identical, the way that people view it is completely different. Mm-hmm. So and I'm not going to expound on that because I don't really feel like it, to be honest. But it, it does annoy me. And we have sat here and criticized Serena's behavior at varying times. Whether we were right or wrong, whether we were not harsh enough or we were insensitive, I don't know. But... It's just not the same. And Novak's sincerity problem stems from giving a press conference from like that, where you berate and condescend to the reporter who's asking you about a pattern of behavior, which you have exhibited. It's not like mm-hmm. it's made up. It's not without merit. And so you go on the defensive and then you shoot back this rubbish, right? This disgusting rubbish. And just say, oh, am I the only one who does this? And then in the next breath, you want to be playful and wonderful with fans and have that be the lasting image and the, mm. the general essence of Novak. Or it's the fact that you're, you're great. You're actually a great loser. You're one of the greatest losers I've ever seen in He's tennis. A very gracious loser. And that's when he comes off as most genuine mm-hmm. to me. Right. And so you, you put together all these different conflicting parts of Novak and they, they don't gel. And so, like, the good bits of Novak come off as, like, make-believe and fraudulent at times. Yeah, see, okay, I think that, in general, fans do have, are able to perceive authenticity. And I think there's a general feeling that, with Andy, you get what you get. And, of course, everyone has a persona, but there's a feeling among fans, I think, that... When you see Andy Murray in a press conference, he's mostly telling the truth. And if he doesn't want to answer, he'll hold back. But he's not going to, like, fake it. Mm -hmm. He'll just not answer. And there is also, as you said, Andy has been, like, the 4A of the big four. He's been an underdog. And this persona hasn't really allowed us to criticize him in that way. Because... We want to root for the underdog. We want him to, to succeed. Let's see what happens when he gets to Australia, wins Australia, uh, speeds through the when? spring, <laughs> wins the French Open, is number one by like 5,000 points at that point. And he'd have had almost a year's work of being the top dog and having everybody chase him. Let's see what the the, the spotlight will be on him then and how we will, you know, make sense mm. of his persona. Because in spite of them, how much I love Andy Moore, I hate watching him play tennis. Because <laughs> like the misery, the sheer misery of his game and his persona on court, I I can't live with that. You know, I can't have that. Is that, that because you already live with it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. Too much. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> too much. But Andy in press conferences, Andy talking about life issues, whatever, blah, 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 blah. There's still a lot to like about Andy, right? Mm. So we'll see probably about time that we move on the year-end top 10 is set and of course we have murray murray and novak as one and two milos as three stan is four there's kaini shikori at five and marin chilic at six mofis who pulled out of the world tour finals halfway through and golfan got his spot is number seven and dominic team is eight the two big butt buddies eight and nine team and nadal Oh, that is not, that does not mean what you think it means. <laughs> the big-butted ones. Yes. Okay. And Tomasz Berdych 
at uh, at number ten. Who Ter- Terminator, the Burdenator. That's the what I'm gonna Burdenator. call him. He looks like the Terminator in like T two. Oh, I never. Can you believe I never saw that movie? Really? Yeah. So I'm gonna call him the Burdenator now. That's my name for Bird. Okay. We talked about Milosha being at number three, and for me, not feeling like a number three right now. Fine. So he's number three, stands number four. Of the top ten, what stands out to you as being surprising or strange? Well, strange is that Roger's not there, and that Nadal is way down at number nine. It's I don't not- know. I would say that numbers three through seven are not super exciting to me. Gail, come on. Yeah, yeah, but... I, he was just so listless at the end of the year. Chilich has had a really good back end of the year, probably next to Mari. He's had one of the better second halves. Seeing him at number six is a bit of a surprise. He was outside of the top 10 for most of the, the first half of the mm. year. Team has been in the top 10 for a good while now. He needs to get his ass together because he was in a whole world of denial at the World Tour Finals, saying that the reason why he's in the World Tour Finals is because he played so much. <laughs> well, I guess you can make that argument. And he also dangled this little tidbit. He said, I may play as much next year. I'm not sure yet. I'm like, okay, girl, you do you. And, and Berdich, uh, there he is again. He's like, uh, have you ever seen Wayne's World? When they, they're doing promos for all the states, Berdich is like Delaware. They get to Delaware and they don't have anything to say. <laughs> Do you expect to see Federer back in the top 10? Yeah, absolutely. Do you see did you expect to see the big 4 as constituted in its original form and its only form back as the top 4 ever again? No. Never. No. Okay. I would almost say definitely no. Of these top 10, who do you think might not be in the top 10 next year at the end of next year? Uh, well, I hate to say it, but Dominic Team, unless he sorts out his sort of what he wants to achieve next year as far as scheduling, and Berdich, it's easy to say he's at number 10, but... See, I think that his lack of really great results bodes well for him to being able to stay in the top 10. That's That's been his MO, right? You know, mm. you go a few rounds better here or there at the right yeah. times of the year. I think uh, Gael is in trouble. <laughs> Given the the arc of his career and his age, it'll be tough for him to maintain a top 10 spot. I think it's kind of sad not to see Ferrer there because he's been a mainstay for a long time. He's not even in the top 20 anymore. I know. This may be blasphemy for the Spanish Armada people. I've never been excited by David Ferrer. (laughs) And I, I just don't really care. I think he's had a good run, a great run, a long run. Played way above his head for a long time. Kudos to him. But the fact that he's 34 and was still knocking on the top 10 was beyond. I mean, I feel like for two years I've thought that, oh, wow, he dropped a few spots in the rankings. This is it. Mm. And he's been able to come back every time. So maybe I'm wrong right. again. But, yeah, I wouldn't look for that to happen next year. Yeah, that, that's that's about it. I, I expect Rafa to come back and be top five by the end of next year. Okay. If he's if he's if he's healthy and plays a full schedule, I see no reason why mm-hmm. not. But did he just get Samsoned? <laughs> so this is this the, is the miscellaneous tea part of the segment. The real topic of this episode is Rafa's hair. We're actually going to do another hour on it. <laughs> <laughs> I you talk. Well, I, I still am unable to talk. So photos surfaced of. Rafa with conspicuously less hair than normal. Just a shorter do. And at first, the photos were like, what the hell is going on with his hair? And more recent ones have come out. Maybe he got the haircut fixed or whatever. It seems to be like an attempt at an undercut. Not a bull cut, as some of you very uncharitably called it. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically Rafa trying to be cool. And we know that Rafa is hot and sexy and amazing, but cool, yeah. he's not. He definitely has... Which is fine. He has a, a tinge of nerddom in yeah, him. Yeah, which makes, it, he, makes him very appealing. But 
Of course, there are a lot of sinister rumblings about whether he's gotten hair plugs. Is it sinister? Well, actually, no. If he's got money, he's losing his hair. It would make sense. If they look normal, why not? Hair trans implant, transplant, what do they call it? I see people on Twitter trying to gather the receipts as to which clinic and in which country he did the procedure in. (laughs) Girl. Like... That's cool because you're doing a lot better job than a lot of journalists today in politics. <laughs> you're doing a lot better job than damn CNN. So, but uh, I think the haircut looks kind of cute, actually. What can a young thirty-year-old man do who is losing his hair? I don't know. I I don't know. I need to see HD photos of this haircut and this <laughs> new hair before I yeah. make any judgment. One of the folks that we follow on Twitter, Bad Toss wrote this really poignant and touching and sad essay Mm. this past week talking about folks that she's lost in her life and why in conjunction with the hyenas election results and what that means and what that means for us folks who are like-minded of sound mind how that left her in a very particular space to be able to consume tennis, and in particular, U.S. men's tennis mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, so there's an interesting phenomenon going on in U.S. men's tennis. There's a lot of right-wing political discourse and activism among some of the top men's tennis players. So there's John Isner, of course, spouting his normal idiocy. Ryan Harrison. <clears throat> Ryan Harrison, who is so intolerable... He's gone from gross to absolute fascist since Trump won. The gloating is too much. If you value your mental health, do not go to his timeline. And then there's Tennis Sandgren, who uh, Bad Toss saw and I guess knows enough to say hello to him at Challengers. Well, he said hello to her. Right. And she described him as to the right of Genghis Khan, which I really enjoyed. (laughs) But he's out here propagating these quote-unquote alt-right news sources, Mm -hmm. which alt-right means Nazi. I don't, I, you know, the New York Times is trying its damnedest to legitimize alt-right as a political orientation, and all these mainstream sources are, because we're falling into the trap of balance. So we have to treat neo-nazis fascists white nationalists white supremacists which are all the same really as a valid political discourse and call it the alt-right when we used to just call them motherfuckers in white hoods Mm -hmm. because that's what they are so we'd seen tennis sangren on twitter involved in a bunch of different threads over the last few weeks and you know espousing all that rubbish Mm -hmm. right and Apparently, Bad Toss had been to, I think it was a Champagne Challenger, and went again this year. And in the past, oh, she said that she had interviewed Tennis Sandgren oh, right. once before, when mm-hmm. the year that he had won the Challenger or something like that. And they'd been, you know, crossing paths on Twitter with everything that's been going on. And so at this challenger, she goes and she's trying to stay out of his way and not even wanting to engage. Mm. And he approaches her and is like, well, you know, it's so so sad that we can't see eye to eye on, you know, political issues, but so and so, you know, mm. let's be cordial or some shit like that. And she, like so many of us, and it was so great to to see somebody put those feelings, put those feelings in writing, that there is no, there's no like shaking of the hands here right. and agreeing to disagree. This is a breaking point for so many people. Like when you say, yeah, I believe these things about Trump, blah, 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 blah. But I'm willing to extend that olive branch to you, you crazy liberal, you know, and we can still mm-hmm. be friends. No, like that's not happening. <laughs> or to say, oh, hi, I'm a completely reasonable republican i've voted republican all my life does trump appeal to the kkk yes but i don't really care i don't believe that i just want my job to stay in the u.s cool but you have chosen to Mm -hmm. identify with whiteness as the number one axis Mm -hmm. of of your identity you don't give a fuck about all the different people who are affected people in your own lives 
who are affected, who have strong feelings, like you negate them, their entire beings. So anyway, John Isner, with this whole Mike Pence Hamilton story that's been going around, talking about how not the right place, not the right time. Oh, he said it was very disrespectful. <laughs> oh, okay. You and Coco Vandaway can go fuck right off together. Like, let me tell you, you with your disrespectful. The right, the far right wing in America are some of the most sensitive people mm -hmm. I've ever seen in my life. It's supposed to be us politically correct people, right? Who are always whining about being offended. These people are offended by literally everything. They're offended by Starbucks cups. Okay? <laughs> Let me tell you, Broadway theaters, they are our place and they are our time. Bottom line. <laughs> So you with your I'm going to convert gays hating ass self walking into a Broadway theater and expecting anything other than that, you can mm. fuck right off. I mean, he was actually treated very well yes. by the cast of Hamilton. Uh -huh. He got a smattering of booze from the audience. So what? Anyway, I know you don't come here for us to talk about this, but if you know us, you probably aren't surprised that mm -hmm. this is something that comes up in our conversation. And uh, yeah, that's who we are. We're going to link to the Bad Toss piece. Check it out. Big ups, big time big ups to her this week. And we stand in solidarity with her. In recent news, Venus and Serena had courts in Compton renamed after them. The same courts that they grew up playing on. They were dedicated to them. And... They were both very emotional. Mm -hmm. And they they also uh, opened a community center named after their sister Yutundi in her honor. That made for some really sweet and glamorous social media moments mm -hmm. <laughs> with the two of them. We don't get to see them both in the same place off the court nearly often enough. Right. If you were interested in what we were talking about regarding Trump and... And the election, uh, Toni Morrison just wrote an essay for The New Yorker that I highly encourage you to check out because we are not going to have Toni Morrison for that much longer. She's in her 80s. Please appreciate her now because she is one of the most important thinkers and writers alive in this country, as far as I'm concerned. In other news, uh, women's tennis is uh, somehow still going on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There was a tournament in Limoges, and Ekaterina Alexandrova, I don't know where that Russian accent oh. came from, she beat Caroline Garcia in a big upset to win. And you have written here, dot, 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 um, what? Why are they still playing? But re really, why are they still playing at this stage? <laughs> we had two year-end tournaments. Amelie Moresmo is pregnant again with her second child. The follow-up from this, she announced this week that she's stepping down as Fed Cup captain. And on a more personal note, as a fan of Amelie and what she did as Mari's coach, I am, in spite of his success, a little bit salty that <laughs> Lendl gets to come in and, as people want to believe, author this great resurgence mm. and next-level shit from Murray. One one of the reasons why I really love Andy Murray is that whenever I've seen people try to do that, he always comes back and says, well, you know, Ivan was great for me at Wimbledon, but he hasn't really been around the rest of the time. It's been Jamie Delgado. It's mm. been all these other people. And he still gives credit to, to Moresmo. He's not about to have that. He's right. very egalitarian in, in sharing the praise. And just very briefly, we're going to talk about Fed Cup in our WTA year in review, but we have to mention this very exciting and dramatic Fed Cup final between Czech Republic and France, where Caroline Garcia won two absolutely heroic matches that she had no business winning. Uh, so Beating Kvitova and Pliskova. Right. So we'll talk about that more later on, but I felt like we would be remiss if we did not mention it. That the Czech Republic won, and that it was their fifth title in six years and their third consecutive. Yeah, so that is a dynasty. Yes. Rest in peace, episode 60. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave it there. Thank you for celebrating our diamond anniversary. 
Next up, we are going to be basically ending the tennis season with a WTA and an ATP year in review mm-hmm. in two separate episodes. And we'll probably have a few more. Uh, well, I've, I want to do some more kind of pop culture off topic episodes. So if that's something that interests you, please check in. As always, I'm Jonathan, Sportscribe CA on Twitter. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. The podcast is at The Body Serve on Twitter. Hit us up, give us feedback, write to us on Twitter. We always love to hear from folks who listen to the episode. Tell us what was good, what was bad. And iTunes reviews. Oh my God, we didn't talk about our latest iTunes review. This was a first. It was very raunchy. It was very nice. Uh huh. It was our first sexual come on in a review. <laughs> and I feel like that has to be celebrated. And yeah, we will cheers to that. So we appreciate all kinds of iTunes reviews. <laughs> as long as it's five stars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Till next time. <laughs>